Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. For the summer, we'll only have two services, one at 9.30 and one at 11.30 a.m. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Robert Kelly, one of the pastors here at the church. I can't wait to see how many of you take advantage of the digital connection card. It should be an interesting uh, addition. Also, for those online, on the stream, or watching, you can also use the digital connection card uh, to let us know uh, that you want to get connected. So I uh, did take advantage of it. I texted Chris, can't spell connect. (laughs) Hi, Chris. This is fun. I know how much you love extra emails. Your fly is open. <laughs> so let's hope, uh, you know, let's take advantage of this one week where we can typo connect and get Chris to open up all these emails. So anyway, we are, uh, this summer, we have been talking uh, about, uh, as a congregation, who we are and what of our mission, vision, values, and the things that we hold most dear. And we've been sharpening some of these things and kind of even revamping some of the ones that we've developed over the years. We're trying to bring it all together into a cohesive, simplified whole so that we can really understand who we are as a church, as a spiritual family, and what are the most important things that we, um, that we are to be focusing on. And one of those topics that is important for us to address is the role of friendship in the Christian life. If you're reading any of the magazines or newspaper, if you're kind of following uh, any of the research that comes out in uh, the psychological world or even in the health, uh, general health world, you'll see that many are talking about a loss of connectedness, that there's actually a loss of friendship going on. Some are even calling it a loneliness epidemic. There's a a book I've been reading called Friendfluence, And they say that in many cities, 40% of the households are now made up of a single person. This is a brand new uh, reality for a culture to have this many people largely living on their own, which means the networks that they have to depend upon are increasingly important in their lives. They say that parents will, of course, we have kids, we start to throw ourselves into our kids. And they say that parents pull away from their friendships when they have kids. But there might be no greater time in your life that you need friends more than when you have the extra burden and challenges that come with kids. And yet, one of the first things we do to make time to make space is to pull away. They say that the number of only children has more than doubled in recent years. One more kind of further breakdown of the normal connective tissue. So we have the traditional family structures sort of fading away, dwindling, becoming less significant in our lives, and friendships having to replace that, to take up the weight 
that the family unit used to bear, that the tribe used to bear. Now people can live in a neighborhood and not know the names of any of the people who live right next to their houses. This was not a reality for most of our society's existence. People knew each other. They knew their neighbors. They were connected in larger units that we could talk about as tribes. And at a time when friendships are becoming more important because of the breakdown of the traditional family structures, we seem less able to make friendships. It's as if we're losing our ability, the, the art and the craft of creating genuine friendships. It seems like many of us lack the skills that we had maybe had when we were younger or even other generations seem to be able to do with uh, more effectiveness. This increasing disconnection leaves us with deep emotional hurts, according to many experts. I think you can see this. If you are uh, one of, if you're a bit of a more of a keen observer, watch how conversations go. And often when you're getting to know people, you're talking in a group setting, sometimes you'll see a person just open up a little bit. They'll start to reveal just a touch of something that's going on in their life. And you'll watch their face begin to shift. It'll begin to change. Uh, and, and you can get just hints of a deeper emotional hurt that's behind the words that they're saying. And sometimes it's just a flash, and sometimes it's just a moment. And usually what we now do in polite company is we pull away from those moments, and we sort of say, oh, oh we were about to get too personal. And so we, 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 we pull away from it rather than, than move into it. But you can start to get a sense of this pain when you're starting to, to, to see it in, on people's faces. Researchers tell us that this is, in fact, a reality and that genuine friendships can help alleviate so much of the hurt that we experience. In fact, genuine friendships help, help us live healthier, lose weight, sleep better, stop bad habits, improve intelligence, and help us overcome serious illnesses. You could imagine if somebody was giving you a magic pill that could do all of that stuff, you would, you would take it in a heartbeat. You'd be like, yeah, sign me up. I don't care if insurance pays for it. You know, I need that pill because this, this would be a huge benefit. Those are just the ones you can measure in a lab. What about the, the soul issues, the benefits that being connected to other people bring? And you see, God understands this about us. He created us. He knows the deeper human needs. And he created the church to be a place where friendships and connections can happen, where we can alleviate each other's uh, emotional and even psychic hurt. That was his design. And not, not the building. The church isn't a building. You all know that already. But the church is you. It's the, it's the collection of people who have gathered together a local representation of the, the unified church of Christ, the, whole, the universal church that has forever existed. It's the group of, of Christ followers who have said, we're going to do this thing together in community. God designed the church for this specific need. It's his antidote for loneliness and to satisfy many of our deepest hurts. Genuine Christian community. But often... 
Christians, we come up short here. We come up short. Larry Crabb, Christian psychiatrist, he said that the muscles of relationship within the Christian body atrophy when we fail to exercise them and the church becomes limp. He wrote an entire book called Encouragement. A lot of my ideas are coming out of this book. It's an older book now, but still absolutely worth the read for anyone interested in, in how you can contribute to genuine Christian community. And, and he's telling us here that these, these muscles take, they take work. You have, to, you have to exercise them. You've got to stretch them. You've got to build them up. And if you don't, then the body of Christ suffers. So what is genuine Christian community? What does it look like? What does it feel like? So the Bible describes genuine Christian community in a whole host of ways. But you can get an introduction to the idea, which is all we're really going to be able to do this morning, is scratch the surface by studying the one another's. Some of you have heard about these. There are dozens and dozens of these one another's in the scriptures. It'll just, you'll be reading along and it'll say, something one another or one another something and it'll and so people have searched the bible for all of these one another's hey welcome to Gomez's. <laughs> welcome to the 1155 service <laughs> sorry uh sorry you caught my attention um anyway i was talking about one another's so it says do not it'll say things like do not embarrass one another um <laughs> You know, that kind of a thing. You'll see that all throughout the scriptures. Uh, so the, the one another's, when, when you kind of break them down and you summarize them, there, there are so many unique ones. And you can group them into some categories. And one of the big categories is, of course, love one another. You see it all over the writings of John. And you just talk about the one another's. And people are like, oh, that's so sweet. You get to love one another's. Uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a great use of it. The problem, though, is that many of us can think about one another's and loving one another in a very theoretical way. We just sort of throw it out there and we'll say, well, I mean, do you love one another as Christians? And of course, you're like, of course I love, you know, my fellow Christians. How, how, of course I would. But you see, in the Bible, loving someone isn't really just a, it's just not an idea or a theoretical concept. It's, it's not even about a feeling. It's about a decision and a whole series of decisions that we make. So to love one another means it actually shows up in real, practical ways. You can't actually love, love someone in theory. You have to love them in practice. You have to love them in reality. And so we're going to take a look at a few of these more specific one another commands. So Christian community, what does it mean? Christian community means, first for us this morning, that we learn to put up with each other. This is key, that we learn to put up with each other. Christian community. To have a group of Christians who are putting up with each other. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I like this because, of course, he's saying, each one of us, we've already received the calling. Will you now live 
in the way that you ought based on who you are in Christ. This is a, and, and then he kind of always frames it out for us to tell us what that life looks like. Verse two, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So he's telling you, you're going to have to be able to put up with each other here. Look at verse three, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now jump down to verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. He tells us to be kind, be compassionate. Make sure you're all here together, not living in the ways that you used to live, but in ways where you're bearing up with one another. Now, this is a really important idea for us to think about and kind of pull apart a little bit because this is key. Because you are not an easy person to live with. I don't know if anyone's broken that to you yet. Probably if you're married, someone has. If you have kids, I guarantee you already know this. You are not an easy person to live with. And of course, neither is the person next to you. So turn to the person next to you and say, you are not an easy person to live with. <laughs> you are not an easy person to live with. You are not. Which is why the scriptures tell us we need to put up with each other and to forgive, to bear up, to put up with, to bear up under the weight of. Now, listen, this is key because I'm not talking here about like putting up with the guy who's got, you know, 20 items in the 12 items or less line, you know, because you still got to put up with that guy, right? You're like, you want to hit him with your car, you know, come on, get a clue. You're here, it's 12, can't you read? And, but you know, that's what you, and so you go, oh, you know what, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to put up with this guy, you know? And so when I, when I say put up with it, I, sometimes I feel like, you know, this is what we think about. We're like, ah, it feels very petty to say that we have to put up with one another. And so how is it that you got to bear with one another? It's like, I don't want that. I don't want those kinds of relationships. I don't want them, you know, I want them to be deep and I want them to be genuine. I don't want to have to put up with someone, right? I mean, this is, this is kind of the idea we can get. In fact, in some ways, if you, just, if you tell me that in your relationships you're putting up with people, it feels like you've been defeated already. It feels like you've actually already lost the de deep, genuine relationship conversation because you're like, oh, yes, I, I got to put up with them. But think about it in another way. Because this is, he's not talking to people who are like checking out at the grocery store here, right? He's talking to people who were already trying to forge a Christian community that would endure persecution, that would care for each other's needs. When he's talking about bearing with, with one another, he's talking about something way deeper than just putting up with irritating people in your life. I think what's going on here is they're talking about people who know what getting past the fake Christian community really looks like. Because when you go deep with people, when you actually allow yourself to be known and you get to know other people, they will hurt you. 
you will be disappointed and you will disappoint others. And what he's saying is, in those moments, forgive each other. To bear up under the weight, it isn't just dealing with a couple of idiosyncrasies. Somebody left the toilet seat up or somebody put it down or whatever your, your weird little thing might be. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about when people really know you and when you really know them and when you, that means that you've developed a relationship where you can actually be known and when you can get close enough to hurt someone. Are you close enough to people that you can, you can be hurt by them? Have you got those kinds of relationships? Because if you don't have that kind of, of closeness, that kind of intimacy, you know what happens. As soon as we get up, we get into a relationship and all of a sudden we're like, ooh, that, I think this person's going to hurt me. We step back. We start to pull away. We're like, I'm going to protect myself. I don't want to be hurt. But you see, those are the very moments when we're going to push through the superficial relationships. You've got to be able to get close enough to people that they can hurt you. And if you are always pulling back, then you're never going to experience genuine Christian community. To be known and to still be loved. That's genuine Christian community. To be truly known. Now this unity and this forgiveness, this isn't going to be rooted in your, you know, superb strength of character. You know, that's a nice religious message that every religion can tell you about. That is not a distinctly Christian ethic. The distinctly Christian ethic is found in Ephesians 4.32. We already read it, verse 32. How is it that we can forgive? Because just as in Christ, God forgave you. See, God already knows I'm the most difficult person imaginable. He knows what really happens in my heart. He really knows what goes on in my head. And so when he in Christ forgave me, I am truly known and still loved by him. When we talk about bearing up in the weight of Christian community, that's what's going on here. He's saying, you take the forgiveness that you've been given by God through Christ, who gave himself for you, and you give that forgiveness to another. That's a distinctly Christian ethic. That's something you can't get elsewhere because forgiveness of that sort is found in no one but Christ. You know, this is one of the reasons why we emphasize people getting involved in a small group at Beacon. Some 30% of our folks are involved in a small group. And, you know, it's easy for us to, to kind of put people together and just try to see what happens. And hopefully they start to form genuine Christian community. And we get to see a lot of that happening. And we do this because it's such a great little incubator to learn how to love people, to really learn how to connect with each other. And, you know, your small group isn't going to be perfect I've been doing small groups my whole Christian life. So I've been a part of some type of a group in different ways my whole Christian life. You're not going to find a perfect group. And listen, if you did find the perfect group, what would happen when you joined it? You see the problem, right? You'd ruin it. They would be like, oh, man, we had it just right. And then Robert joined. Like, that would be it. You'd be like, oh, now it's over. You know, we had it for just a moment. But no, so you're not. But it isn't about finding the perfect group of people. It's about finding the people who will bear up under the weight of who we really are and still love each other. Christian community also means that we think of others 
more than ourselves. We think of others more than ourselves. In Romans 12, verse 10, he says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Or take Galatians 5, 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Sometimes I observe conversations among friends, both inside the church and outside the church. And, you know, there'll be a group of people, and you're all kind of just talking and, you know, firing away, and it's great. You're telling stories, and you're sharing life, and it's really great. Those are great moments. But have you ever noticed, and I've been kind of tuned into it of late, particularly for a variety of reasons, and you're in a conversation. Somebody throws out something. They're about to kind of talk and they're trying to even go a little deeper and maybe even reveal a little bit, take one of those steps into relationship that's necessary, exposing a little bit more of who you are, and they're looking to be heard. That's what they need. They want to be heard. It's an effort on their part. They're putting themselves out there and they want to be heard. And as soon as they get the first part of their little story out, they haven't even gotten to the real point, someone jumps in with their story. Right? And someone jumps in and is like, oh, yeah, that happened to me here, and I did this and that, and then somebody else is off over here. And if you watch the person who started, you can see a disposition shift. Like, it's one more time I tried and couldn't, couldn't get it out there. And what they're saying is, what they're hearing is, my story is more important, you know, mine than theirs. I've interrupted I need to, to, and it's not just about interruption, it's about never even, if, if you're there in those moments, if you bring those conversations back to that person and you let them tell their story to start to be heard, you can see them light up again. It is a fact. Now, I didn't notice this for a long time, and I, I think it's, it's largely because I was the one talking. Um, and so I think that's what, this is what happens, and I start to, I'm starting to get sensitized to it because I really like talking and hearing myself talk. And so because of that, which is why this whole thing works so well for me, because like, you know, I get to actually just hear myself talk. My wife says I'm an Olympic talker. And, uh, and, and, so, and, and so imagine though, like if you think to yourself, I've actually never seen this happen. If you've said, I've never really seen anyone get interrupted like that and not be able to share their story, you might be cutting them off. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but if you've never seen, if you've never experienced, it's probably because too many words are running too rapidly over your lips. But look for it, watch for it, and start to see. And what is that really about? It's about us saying, even if you're trying to connect with them, I understand that's what, it's, that's what motivates me. I am trying to build relationships, and I'm sharing stories, and I'm telling about myself, and I'm doing all those openness things. But when you do it and you're not, and you're not thinking of others before yourself, it goes in a different direction. What would it really look like if every one of us here, we lived our lives thinking and serving and honoring and loving other people more than we think about serve, honor, and love ourselves? You know, we come across a verse like this, honor others more than, think of others more than you think of yourself. And it's like, oh, that's so sweet. That's such a cute thing. You know, think of others more than yourselves. That would be a nice thing to do. It is, it is revolutionary. It'll change the very fabric of your relationships, and it will press you ever deeper into Christian community. This was a wildly unorthodox thing to talk, to about, to talk about in ancient Rome. Humility wasn't a virtue there. 
It would have been considered a weakness. Self-promotion is the way to go, very much like our society today. What would it look like? Would it mean that we would be checking in with a friend just to see how they're doing or maybe, you know, remembering that some particular challenge that a person is going through or some great joy that they've recently experienced and asking them how it's going, maybe sacrificing our day off or our evening home for a friend who's in need or for that family that's got the baby or for, you know, the, the person who's been struggling with a particular issue. You're like, yeah, but I can't be doing that. I can't give of that. That's my, that's my time. That's the thing I need. Right thinking of others more than ourselves. It's extremely challenging. What about financial help? You know how many times I've heard it in our small groups where people will tell us, you know, they had someone who had a trouble, they were having, you know, they needed to get a car, they needed to do something else, and a small group gathers together and just helps them do it. You know, they're using their resources to help another. They've got a special project, someone needs a hand. You know, do you have the group of people who, when, when you end up in the hospital, that there's eight or 10 or 12 people who will be there for you. They'll drop everything that they're doing to show up to make sure that you're okay, to give you the support you need. Are there, are there eight or 10 or 12 people who when you heard that something happened to them, you would drop everything and show up? You'd cancel those meetings. You'd give up that, you know, that time you had carved out for yourself. You have those people, genuine Christian community. And it also means, Christian community means that we build each other up. We build each other up. This is the idea behind encouragement and a big idea from Larry Crabb's book called Encouragement. And the gist of it goes something like this. He says that in the beginning, you remember Adam and Eve. Adam, Adam sinned against God and after he sinned, he was afraid. He had fear. Fear that he would now be exposed for who he is, a sinner, a lawbreaker. And because he sinned, he wanted to hide. And in what might be one of the most psychologically astute verses in the whole of Genesis, if not the Bible, it says in Genesis 3.10, God, uh, God was looking for Adam and Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid. Let's think through what the, how that impacts our relationships. I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. See, if Christian community means that we are building each other up, what would that look like? Well, imagine you're a person. I got a stick figure for you. Imagine you're a person, and according to Larry Crabb, your core emotion is fear. We may not always experience it like this, but so many of the decisions that we make and the things that we run to or away from or the relationships we pour ourselves into or move away from, it's rooted in fear. A lot of us say, I don't feel like I'm fearful, but if you evaluate and you analyze what are your core motivations, your core emotional state, you're gonna, many of us will see that fear underlies a great deal of them. Because of that, and of course, this is what happened to Adam, right? He knew he had sinned, so he was afraid. Now, because of that, we want to protect our fearful selves because we know that we have sinned. And we do that by hiding, by covering up under a defensive layer. 
Now, these defensive layers can be very well constructed, and they can look very friendly, and they can look warm and outgoing, and they are designed to protect us, the fearful one, inside the circle. These defensive layers, Larry Crabb explains, create a massive obstacle to relationships. Imagine if there were a group of us trying to relate to each other through our defensive layers. Now, of course, you're not actually relating to another person. You're relating to the, the mask that they're wearing. You're, you're relating to the, the, the facade that they have created, not to the actual person themselves. In the book, he describes this as lovers trying to kiss through a pane of glass. That's what it feels like. You're looking for intimacy. You're looking for closeness. You're looking for, for contact. But what you're really experiencing are the defensive layers. Now imagine if we begin to lower our defensive layers, if we even recognize them. Many of us don't even recognize what defensive layers we've put up. Imagine if we begin to lower them. Or imagine if we develop the skills and the wisdom and the discernment to see past another's defensive layers and not respond to their defensive layers and not fight with their defensive layers. What if instead we get to the person behind the layers? Because that's when you're going to begin to experience genuine community. You take away those defensive layers. You lower them yourself. You speak past them. And people be can begin now to experience what it means to have genuine encouragement where a person can really speak into their unique and personal situation. This is what we're talking about when we say we build each other up. Words are extremely powerful. Do you use your words to build people up? Can you speak to their core self? Do you always use a word, your words, to, to build people up rather than to tear them down? Or instead, do we use sarcasm and humiliating and meaningless words and fluff? Do we just talk to talk? Or do we use our words to build people up? That's the pathway toward genuine Christian community. I'm going to ask you to do a, a quick little poll for me. Take out your phones again, same number. This is why we want to make sure you got it in your phone. We're going to do a group life poll. So go ahead and text poll to that number. And we are going to do a little analysis. If uh, you'll see, there are going to be a few choices for you to make. One, two, three, four, five, six, I think five. A few choices. You're going to pick one. And if you are a guest with us this morning, welcome. Glad you're here. And uh, you're going to pick the very first option, which is just visiting Beacon today. But for the rest of you, we're going to give you a series of choices that will reflect where you see yourself at, whether you're in a small group and you, uh, or not, and whether you're experiencing genuine Christian community or not. That can be here at Beacon. It could be outside of Beacon if that's... Uh, but you've heard a little bit about what genuine Christian community would look like. And so we're going to do a quick little poll, and uh, we're going to tabulate it for you and share your results before the end of the morning here. It'll take a minute. Anybody get it yet? Yeah, it's starting to come in. So yeah, it takes a little bit because it's going to space. So it takes a little time, you know. I just texted it. Where is it? Patience. Give it a second. 
probably in a data farm right now out in the desert. It's working its way back through all those little things. As it does it, when it comes in, you can uh, go ahead and, and if you're one of those people that doesn't think the phones should be out in church, I'm sorry, that's not an option for you. We didn't give you that choice because uh, we figured you wouldn't be doing it anyway. So we, we didn't give you that option. But um, as it comes in, go ahead and do it uh, and uh, fill it out and give us a quick response. As that happens, I wanted to bring it back to where we are going as a church. You remember the diagrams that we've been showing you each week now for a little bit, starting with the community, moving folks into the crowd. And each week, we've been encouraging you guys to move deeper along this pathway. If you're outside in the community and you're coming into the crowd for the first time, we're delighted to have you. We're so excited that you've come to be a part of what God is doing here, or at least to check it out. Then... We've encouraged you last week to be a part of the congregation. Those are the people who are learning to love God in our worship time, to be a part of what God is doing as we gather together to sing and to pray and to learn to love him and surrender our lives to him more fully and completely. But if you notice the next, the next circle that we've got for you is the connected. And there are a group of folks at Beacon, a third of us, who are connected in some significant way to group life here. They're part of a small group of Christians, so that your faith no longer focuses simply on your Sunday morning experience, but gets pressed into the other days of the week. And we know from our past research that 30, the 30% of our congregation that says they're a part of group life, that they actually report a more consistent devotional life, more growth in their spiritual journey in the last 12 months, a more consistent prayer life, deeper discipleship, more security in their faith, better understanding of the Bible. If you're in that one third on almost every single metric that we have to gauge a person's spiritual development, you will be doing more and experiencing more feeling more connected to God and feeling more connected to others. You participate in more social events. You share your faith more with people who are far from God. You serve others more. You actually throw yourselves into, into mission more fully and completely. I think this is in part because you're connected. In fact, you report having more closer friends. A third of the folks here, which is why when we encourage you guys to say, listen, we want, you, we want to get you guys into a small group. We want you to begin to experience this kind of community. We want you to get a taste of what it's like. Why, why do you think we, we promote these things? This is like a, it, it's, it's nearly that pill we're talking about. You know, if you were to take, if you were to say to me, if we were just to sit down, you'd say, you know, I really want to enhance my spiritual life. You know, I really want to see, you know, this thing happen and this thing happen on almost every metric that you would give me. Every, everything that you would say, you know, I want to I experience that. I want my relationships to be better. I want to do better as a, as a husband and as a dad. And I want, you would experience progress on all of those things if you've got a, a group of Christians who will love you, who will pray for you, who will encourage you, who will help coach you along, teach you, help disciple you, grow you up in the faith. It'll be a, it, you'll experience all of these kinds of benefits which is why we encourage folks, be a part. Find that group. Get in that community. And when you do that, you'll begin to get a, 
a sense as to what God's desire for you is. And I don't know how it works, but so many of you have reported experiencing this exact thing. So let's, let's actually see where, where, where we're at um, as a congregation. So this is two, the two combined, right? So this is a cumulative for the morning now. So we've had 192 people respond so far. And 10 of you are visiting today. Hey, welcome to our guests. Um, so glad you're here. And uh, we hope that this is somehow instructive for you. A group of folks who have said they're not in a small group and they don't have genuine Christian community, 19%. And I would say that's what we would expect. We would expect that you know where most of us are at, especially you're newer to the church, uh, or if you've been around for a while but you haven't thrown yourself into a, into, a, into a Christian community of any sort, that would be your next step. For those of you who are saying, yes, I absolutely don't experience that kind of Christian community and I'm not in a group, that would be the experiment we want you to try. Then we've got a group who say they're not in a small group but do have genuine Christian community. That's about 22%. We were talking about this as a staff, trying to figure out what, was, what that was about. And one of the things that we've realized is that for many of us who are maybe not currently in a small group, but we have been around the church for a long time or we've been in small groups in the past, even when we've moved away from those groups for whatever season in life or because we're involved in other groups at this particular time, some of those relationships are actually still so valuable to us that we're still experiencing genuine Christian community. That's how it is with me right now. I've got some friends who are not currently in a small group together, but they're some of the, my, my closest friends and my most important confidants, but we have shared group life together in the past and sometimes for many, many years. And so that's something that we would certainly expect to see. In a small group and have genuine Christian community, the largest number, of course, is what we would expect. And so glad to see that a number of you are, in fact, experiencing it. And for you, I would encourage you to take that experience of Christian community, and it's a big, it's a big number, 41% of you, take that experience and invite others into it. No community ought to remain closed. Invite others in. Let them experience what genuine community can really be like. Fold them into your one another world and let God do a great work in their, in their lives. And you can even see there's a good number who haven't been able to experience it yet. So there's always an opportunity. And then, of course, the number we were really interested in, one of them we were really interested in, you're in a small group, but you don't have Christian community. And this means that about 10 or 11% of you are participating now. You're looking for it, but it's eluding you. And that breaks our hearts. And we admit not every group will always function at its highest uh, capacity. And so I have a couple of recommendations for you. For one, can you be that catalyst in that group for us? Take this conversation back to your group this week, this month. Take it back and say, listen, you heard what we were talking about. What does it mean to be a genuine Christian community? That's what I want. That's what my soul is hungering for. What would it take? What would it mean for us to be that kind of a group? For group leaders, you're here today and you're hearing this. These might be some people in your groups. Ask about it. Ask if there's something that we could be doing. Is there a way that we can develop genuine Christian community and get past that artificial false Christian community and go deeper and more and into a more genuine experience. And the other thing is let us know. 
We don't want anyone to languish. If you're there in that 11%, we don't want anybody to languish there. If you're saying, I tried it, it isn't working for me, it's not my thing, it's not, let us work with you. Let us figure it out. It could be the group. It could be the group needs help. It could be uh, that there are things that maybe to, that, that we could be able to help you to press more deeply into Christian community. Who knows what it is? But don't languish there without, uh, without taking another step. I'm delighted to see a number of folks who are, in fact, experiencing Christian community but knowing how much it benefits us. We will not be content until everyone who calls Beacon home is experiencing genuine Christian community. So we're going to keep pressing deeper, working harder, and seeing if we can get each and every one of us connected to a group of people who will generally, genuinely practice the one another's with them. I'm going to ask the band to come up and uh, they're going to lead us in a couple of worship songs as we prepare our hearts to go to the Lord's table. And um, as they do that, I'm going to just ask if you would pray with me. Lord, uh, we're um, bringing our hearts to you in this way. And it's, it's challenging because we can often feel uh, like we can be exposed here, Lord. Because we know there are risks in being truly known. We know, Lord, that it isn't an easy thing. But Father, what I'm asking is that you would draw each person here, that we would yield to your desire for us, that we would surrender our selfishness and we would overcome our fears and that we would press deeper into genuine community. Lord, you have designed it so that we wouldn't be alone. You even told us it isn't good for us to be alone. And you left behind a community to do your work here in the world. You didn't send us on individual missions. You instead, Lord, created us as a community to do this great work together so that our souls might be made alive with each other. I pray, Lord, that you would make it increasingly true of each and every one of us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.